This is the Tea Podcast by Developing Lafayette. I'm your host, Ben Powers. On this podcast, you'll hear from business owners, entrepreneurs, and community influencers who all play a role in moving Lafayette Parish and South Louisiana forward. Today we got a, a fun episode. We're going to be talking with a local entrepreneur about uh, a couple of different things. We will touch on his main business, which is State Farm. He's an agent, owner agent for State Farm, but he's also, he uh, owns Parlor Salon Studios and he's getting into the uh, NFT metaverse uh, area. Bradley, uh, welcome to this little podcast of mine. So uh, yeah, tell yeah, us a little bit about yourself. Us. Yeah, yeah good to have so, you. Uh, Originally, I'm from uh, the Ascension Parish Assumption area, uh, you know, kind of like the Donaldsonville uh, Assumption Parish area, and uh, went to uh, went to school down there. Uh, pretty involved in sports growing up. You know, like to you know, be outside and enjoy that. And you know, kind of like was my high school years growing up in that. And then uh, when I was around 15, started working for Chef John False and uh, at one of his restaurants, and just worked my way through. A chef, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, in the front of the restaurant working in the uh, busing tables and then also uh, waiting tables when I was of age enough to start doing that and kind of paid my way through college and went on to Nichols State and uh, graduated in business. So uh, that was uh, my educational early childhood development uh, areas and uh, then went on to uh, Nichols State, finished there and just had a great time on campus, uh, very involved uh, in all the activities. Uh, Then uh, shortly after graduation, uh, my dad, my brother, and I started a software firm uh, right when I was 21 years old, man. So dove right in in uh, early years of 1995 when software, you actually had to have a disk to install the software that we were selling. And it was in the human resources space where we worked with human resource departments uh, to install a certain type of software to help people in hiring and developing people. Uh, so early on, I was always involved in a sales role. Uh, you know, it's kind of when you start in a company, you, you, you have to eat, you know, so, yeah. you know, what you sell is what you eat. So, uh, you know, I had a pretty big appetite, even at an early age, wanting to, to get the sales, uh, you know, really rolling and, uh, did that for 16 years, uh, from the time I was 21 to almost 37. But uh, along the way, uh, our firm was one of the top resellers of this particular software on a national basis. So we did very well as a company, uh, eight years into that journey, uh, I created a software platform that uh, I created a software product uh, back with, before portals even existed, you know, when people would log into websites. Uh, when I saw that technology, I saw how our software that we were selling to companies, uh, I worked with the developers to help reverse engineer those assessments to where we were able to help kids in their career path. And uh, I went to the state of Louisiana and pitched my idea and they uh, licensed it to me, licensed it from me for almost, uh, at the time, a half a million dollars a year, which was an educational product. We were implemented into all the schools throughout the state, uh, had nearly 400,000 kids using it. So it was a really, you know, that kind of began my journey into the software space and, you know, just wanting to serve people and, and, and help others. You know, that's, that's a big component of mine. Wow, man. <laughs> there is a, a, a lot there. Uh, all right, so kind of want to go back to the the 1995 mention. Um, 
And you were 20, 21? 21, yeah. And you were getting into software. Yeah, yeah. 1995, that was like, you're you're on the cusp right. of like just the beginning yeah, of the internet. That's right. It was like web web 1.0. And uh, at the time, that, that's where I started to learn uh, website development. So at the time, you know, we, we had a company. We knew we, knew we needed to be online. And uh, we didn't even know what to do. So it was really just kind of researching, getting started. And luckily, I had a, a good friend of mine that had just uh, graduated from the Naval Academy uh, and uh, our Navy. And uh, he came back, and he was a computer scientist type person. And he knew how to develop some basic websites. And he taught me enough to get started, like, overnight. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of got together and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of had a little course on. At the time, it was Microsoft Front Page was the, the oh software. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I learned uh, Microsoft Front Page and just started, you know, out of, you know, necess- you know you know, being necessary to have an online website, taught myself how to build websites uh, and create our own company website. And then that led to when the software that we were selling went online, where it became an online software where, you know, portal logins and things like that. Uh, that's when I saw the opportunity for what we were doing in that space to bring it over into the educational <clears throat> sector and uh, get it in. And, and, you know, actually, ironically, at the time, uh, the... I was working with the Board of Regents and Dr. Joe Savoy was, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that he had the vision to see what I was creating. And uh, he, he's the one that signed off on, on my program. So very thankful to work with the Board of Regents and Dr. Sh- Joe Savoy. And, you know, here he is now in Lafayette. So it all comes full circle. Man, you, you, I feel like you've done so much <laughs> already. And you, what we're going to be talking about today is so much more. Right, right. Um, I guess I, I, I want to talk about. Okay, you're going. You're you're 21. You're entering the software space, which is, at that time, that's a that was a big innovative leap to do. Like, not very many people were getting into at least in Louisiana, right, a right. software company. Like that wasn't cool. Like that was risky. Like yeah. that's so new. Like what are you doing? Like okay, so fast forward a little bit. Why and how did you go from what seemingly sounds like a Silicon Valley situation with software and getting into logging into you know websites that was that was revolutionary I guess yeah. at that time to being a State Farm agent. Yeah. I mean, you started your, your, your agency in 2012, which is re- pretty recent. Mm-hmm. So what, like, where did that, how did that come sure, about? Sure. So, you know, when I look back at each, you know, crossroads or each, uh, you know, segment to a new business that I've been involved with, I think it had a lot to do with mentoring that was involved. Uh, so at the time when we were creating a software, you know, we had a software that we were selling and I was fortunate enough to uh, be mentored by the CEO of a company in Texas. And uh, he had the deep pockets and was able to help co-fund and collaboratively create the software. So I had the idea and the vision and, you know, kind of outlined every detail of how the software would work. They hedged and built from the back in the software and they ran the development team, you know, to help that development cycle and also the funding of it. So, you know, from a risk standpoint, we, we all took risk and time and energy and effort, but we de-risked it by pre-selling it, you know? So when you go, you know, try to pre-sell something that doesn't exist yet, yeah. you know, when we get a contract up front, 
okay, now we've just brought down the risk factor and now we can sell it. So we did that successfully for about, you know, eight years, uh, you know, during that time cycle, you know, what led me over to transition out of that is, is two things really. One was at the time the state of Louisiana started to have tremendous budget shortfalls. And I, you know, with having that one client, which was the state of Louisiana as my, you know, client, when they ran into shortfalls, that means, you know, how are we going to get paid? You know, yeah. even though we did it at a great value for the state, at the end of the day, we still had to, you know, earn a living. Simultaneously, why those were having uh, th- those shortfalls, uh, th- my mentor in, in Texas, uh, Jim Sebasky, great, great guy, he passed away. Uh, so it's kind of like those two roads were kind of coming together where the person in my life and the company that was helping me and then the state of Louisiana, it just was a time there, you know what, I'm going to have to figure out some transition in my life. And looking at where I was in the company with my, with my family and, uh, you know, where they were at in their lives, I thought, you know what, uh, I want to look for something where I would have thousands of clients, you know, something that's just very uh, secure, a good foundation, a great ba- brand to be a part of. Uh, and, uh, you know, State Farm was, 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 a, was a natural segue for me. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about great brands. I mean, State Farm is one of the biggest yeah. brands, you know, especially mainly in the the country. I don't know about nationally or yeah. internationally, yeah. but so mainly uh, U.S. But yeah. uh, you know, one of the things is you know coming in externally, and that's what they call it with State Farm. I came in completely, never been in insurance. Uh, you were you green, know, yeah, very green. So, uh, but I think what they saw was the entre- entrepreneurial side that I had, and you know, my business acumen to execute a business plan and you know really work on scaling and operation was important and uh you know ever since i've been in lafayette uh you know started almost 10 years ago uh june 1st man 10 years and uh been so fortunate uh the community of lafayette has just been so supportive and very thankful for that so uh we got one comment for now uh carson um carson barank And he said, go B. Yeah, so Carson uh, was an a All-American pitcher at UL, and uh, he worked for me for almost uh, six years, and he just was selected to be a State Farm agent. Uh, oh, nice. And uh, started this year. He and another young man, Caleb Freyu, shout out to both of those guys who just started their State Farm journey as an agent, and uh, they spent six and seven years in my office and uh, learning and developing mentoring. So just as I felt I've been mentored, you know, giving back and showing others and introdu- introducing others to entrepreneurship, I just think is so important and, uh, you know, helps our economy grow and uh, the more people that can, you know, bring on other job opportunities. So yeah. those guys that started, yeah. <clears throat> and then we get another comment uh, from uh, Brian Beasley. He just does the, uh, the bicep arm, <laughs> you know, goes, it, looks, it looks like, yeah, strong. Yeah. Um, okay. So we know that State Farm uh, for you is a a good foundation, Absolutely. a strong company, and it, it supports your. I'm guessing your living in yeah. for the most part. Absolutely. It's your main yeah. source. And then you have a couple other companies, and 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 it's interesting because even though you you guys were in the software space early on, and you know, you're, you're digging your heels into very innovative things. Some of the businesses that I'm looking at that you are a part of and that you own uh, are pretty in that kind of in that wheelhouse of innovation and kind of doing things that are a little out of the box, Right, right. Uh, you know, according to what people knew, at least over the past five years. Um, one of those businesses 
is Parlor Salon Studios, and it is essentially uh, I'm a, I'm a I'm gonna preface it, and I'll let you kind of expound sure. on it. Is uh, it's re- rentable units for cosmetology professionals to get started in their entrepreneurial journey to either do hair, makeup, uh, nails, or anything that's in that cosmetology right, space. Right. Yeah, and right. Do I kind of have it? That's right. right. Okay. You sure do. So, uh, you know, about uh, I'd say almost six years ago, uh, I was talking to another insurance agent out of New Orleans, a good friend of mine, and uh, he had just gotten back from a conference, and he was speaking to others about besides insurance, what else do they invest in, or what other businesses that they had, and uh, that one of the guys had said that they own salons and uh my friend asked a little little more probing questions like so you know why salons and uh he went over how from an investment standpoint of owning the real estate and and rentals and things like that it was a great great business concept uh so learning that uh you know one of the things that started popping up on my uh, Facebook feed was uh, Grant Cardone. Oh, yeah. And uh, just looking and, and studying what he's doing in uh, the real estate space. And he, he speaks a lot about owning and renting multiple doors or multiple units. Okay, so if you have a, a, a one home that you're renting out and that home goes vacant, you're now down to 0% occupancy. Right. Whereas if you have, you know, 10, 15, 20 units and a couple of them leave, you still have 70 to 80% occupancy. So while I was looking for a business model like that, you know, this salon studios uh, opportunity just, just made sense to me. I started to really understand the numbers, research it. There's franchises out there that, you know, allow, uh, you know, individuals to buy a franchise uh, just based on my background with, you know, business and, you know, being able to build things and, you know, build websites and things like that. Yeah. You wanted to build it yourself. I want to build myself, you know, that way, you know, I, I kind of control the brand, you know, and we can, uh, you know, bring that out. But part of it was, you know, looking at, you know, providing a business model that uh, promotes entrepreneurship, you know, puts people in a position where they can control a little bit more of what they're doing. And you think about that space, you know, a lot of salons and we got, you know, other great salons in Lafayette, but there's a, there's that crossroads where there's a, uh, maybe a stylist that wants to do their own thing or they want to be independent, uh, but starting an entire salon by themselves might be oh, very yeah. challenging. So this allows them to, uh, to have that, that entrepreneurial spirit and, uh, you know, rent a studio that's already done for them, you know, no, no real investment. They could just rent from us. And we we're pretty proud that we've been able to deliver uh, a luxury type studio, uh, for the price at or lower than some of just renting a chair in, in the market. And that was intentional. Uh, we wanted to give back and have a place where people can rent. We wanted a high occupancy rate. We wanted a waiting list. Uh, yeah. So that was important to us. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, we brought this concept to Lafayette, that it was well-received and, and it has been. And, you know, the other piece was we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, you wouldn't get scooped up by an Amazon. You know, you can't, you can't right. get a haircut online. You know, they haven't no, figured can't. that out yet. So uh, that was very important to us when we were looking at other investments. Awesome. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. I want to uh, let you guys know about our sponsors. Support for the podcast is brought to you by the Music Academy of Acadiana. Acadiana's top choice for music lessons in piano, guitar, voice, drums, violin, saxophone, flute, audio production, and more. They teach students of all ages and styles. 
They have sent students to college to compete in major music competitions and have also premiered on major TV music contests like American Idol and The Voice. They are founded by Tim Benson, who is a University of Louisiana at Lafayette Music School graduate. The Academy has been voted as a top finalist in the Best Music School by readers of the Times of Acadiana since 2016, and they have won the National Music School of the Year Award in 2014. Their goal is to make music lessons fun, educational, and to help foster the next generation of musicians and creative thinkers. You can find out more at their website at www.musicacademyacadiana.com. You can also check out their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more information. Our tech sponsor, The Orchard, is Acadiana's only Apple-authorized service provider. They provide services for Apple products, whether it be a broken screen or if you need help trying to figure out an app, The Orchard has your back. They helped us by giving us an iPad to continue running our show since our show is dependent on Apple products. So with that, check out their stores. They got two locations in Acadiana, one next to Buffalo Wild Wings off of Ambassador in Lafayette, and at their new location in Karen Crow next to Super One Foods. You can check them out at theorchardstores.com or in person to make sure that all of your Apple products are taken care of and up and running and working as they should. I want to talk a little bit more <clears throat> about Parlor Salon Studios because I am intrigued by the idea. And I mean, like you said, there's franchise opportunities out there for it. Um, it gives like you said, the power for someone in the salon industry, cosmetology industry to start their own business without having to start a full scale salon. Cause you and I both know that most salons have more than one chair. Sure. Like, and if you want to start a salon that makes money, you usually have to have multiple chairs so that you can rent those chairs out. Absolutely. And the problem, at least from what I understand is, and I think this is what Parlor Salon Studios helps solve. It's just one of the many things that sure. you guys help solve is that an individual chair cannot be branded the way that that particular stylist would want. So let's say that particular stylist is a very, let's say they're an emo style right. hairstylist. Yeah, like yeah. they're very dark and black and they have their, their own aesthetic. Sure. And the salon's brand is very bright, more almost like a Hillsong Church sure. vibe, you know, very uh, earth tones. It wouldn't mix. Right, right. So what Parlor Salon Studios allows those people to do, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, sure. is have that space and decorate it and design it to fit the brand that they want and aspire to have at that time. Absolutely. So, you know, a couple of things on that piece, uh, some of the advantages that the stylists have or the cosmetology folks have is that, you know, from a branding perspective, you know, parlor is just the hub where they able to operate from, but from a branding standpoint, they're able to brand their own, you know, business, decorate their own inside. Uh, what they're finding is that the conversations that they have, you know, they're in a room just like this private, 
they can have a great conversation and without others listening. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of these salon uh, folks, they almost kind of play therapist to some of their clients. Dude, they are absolutely yeah. therapists. So, uh, you know, they find that the, the relationships are deeper. Uh, one of the things I like, you know, most about is that they, we see in their income go up. I mean, that's the feedback that we're getting. And I'll tell you why. Uh, one of the reasons is, is that they're able to sell their own products and keep all that margin. So when they sell products, they can pick their favorite products that they like, the ones that they're super passionate about, promote those products. And then, you know, their clients are buying those products directly from them. Uh, the other component is that in the salons, we have individual hand sinks. Uh, and from a board of uh, cosmetology standpoint, that allows them to do additional services that they might not otherwise be able to do. So if they're in a salon where it might be a big open environment, and even though they have the skill set to do eyebrows or lips or these other types of you know, makeup, what have you, they just don't have the environment to do it maybe in a traditional salon. They can do those unique services or those private services in their own studio. So in their product line, their service offerings, and of course their income. So it's a it's a good fit. Oh man, that is that is really neat. Like it's almost making me wish that I could <laughs> go into the cosmetology industry hey, and yeah. like <laughs> rent out a chair, man. Um, we have a, another comment. Let's uh, let's check that out. So it is by Cindy Richard. So Cindy Richard says uh, Bradley has always been driven to deliver the best in everything he does. Uh, luckily, I'm blessed to have learned from him for 12 years. Congrats on your success. You earned it. Yeah. So Cindy worked with us uh, over at the assessment company for years. So that was a uh, great spending time and, you know, learning, uh, you know, the assessment industry. And she worked with us. Uh, great. Say hello, Cindy. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, all right. So for those that are watching that may have questions about Parlor Salon, uh, you obviously have a website. I'll show that in a second. Um, I'll go ahead and put the link up right now. So it's parlorsalonstudios.com if you want to go ahead and check it out while you're uh, watching. So so what could a cosmetology professional expect yeah. when they want to get a space? So like, do they go to the website? Are they able to rent a space through the website? Or do they have to contact you directly? And oh, importantly, like, how much does it cost versus the alternative sure. of renting a chair in person? Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, the website uh, is designed to just share you know, locally, you know, what's the business model like, you know, what's the locations, and the directory of each stylus at each location so that they want to book directly. They can click on that stylus's information, find out that person's uh, social channels, phone numbers and things like that. So the website is mainly like a, a directory for if, you know, we have customers come up across the site looking for a good stylist, they want this experience or, you know, when COVID hit, you know, people were scrambling, they couldn't see their traditional stylist where ours were able to operate through the whole pandemic because of the private spaces and the social distancing. But the website in terms of how to lease, uh, we have an inquiry section where they can go on and inquire about which uh, studio they're interested in. You know, we've been pretty fortunate that since day one at both locations, we've been at 100% occupancy. Uh, we've had a couple had to transition out, just, you know, they've started a family and things like that. Yeah. But we, we slot the next person in. So it's it's been almost uh, from a waiting list only. Uh, we now have a 
uh, a leasing manager that's going to be helping us lease out all of the the downtown locations because we're going to double in size, man. We uh, we're currently at 21 studios between the two locations. We're adding 18 more, so we at 39 uh, units. Uh, so I have a leasing manager now. Her name's Sarah, and uh, she uh, is also from the cosmetology space. Worked at Aveda, so just a good fit. Uh, she's going to help us, but they can. Uh, go on and sign the inquiry. Uh, usually they want to see the location. So now that we have some actual locations, they can go see what they look like, go walk through the locations, and then uh, we have them complete the application. And then all everything is digital. So we have an online uh, lease. They fill that out. And then from a cash flow standpoint, we set it up for weekly weekly rents. So it allows us to help them be good stewards of their monies as well. So every Wednesday, uh, just direct direct deposit is happening. Uh, it accesses and, and, and pulls the money from their from their systems, and they bank authorize that. So you know everything's pretty streamlined. I mean, just recently, you know, I ran the first two units, uh, first two locations uh, for almost two years now. Just by ourselves, you know, my wife and I. So it really wasn't that much work for us. You know, a lot of work goes on in the beginning is starting it up, you know, building yeah. location, you know, planning the layout, uh, being involved with that piece. But once we got it up and running and started to figure out, okay, you know, what are the things that we need to do to really manage this business? Well, we better have a good plumber, you know, right. Sinks are cause all know, the hair, maybe something gets stopped up, you know, so we have plumbers that, you know, will go out and they've been, you know, we have some good service providers here in Lafayette that, you know, we call them up if there's something that, you know, get clogged up, you know, but other than that, uh, that's usually it, man. We have, uh, 24 seven access. That's another big key that does 24 seven. So yeah. like somebody can work at any time, anytime they want. Anytime they want. So, uh, you know, that, that allows them to dictate their own hours. You know, if let's say they had something personally going on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but they need to catch up just on their own income standpoint, or they got a cl special client that wants to come in out of town. Uh, you know, they have, we have some people that travel to Lafayette just to get their hair done uh, with a particular stylist. Wow. Uh, and maybe they can only come on a Sunday. So, you know, we have a, a key fob where, uh, you know, the stylist can key fob into the building. We have the building's program where it automatically opens and locks at a certain time. We had a great provider here in Lafayette help us uh, set up that technology. Uh, we can remote access and open up the building, lock the building. So we have it set up to, you know, thinking how we're going to scale multiple locations as we do this. Uh, but, you know, it's it's about anywhere from um, from a pricing standpoint, about $175 to $200 a week. Okay. So that puts you around $700 to $800 a month in most cases. Uh, and that's about what a chair rents for, I, I think, in Lafayette. Some might be $500, some might be 1000 I think we're in that sweet spot of right in the middle of uh, the pricing model. Now, yeah. I'll tell you this, that's that's the Lafayette prices that we brought into this market. Like if you go to other markets that have a similar type of business model, it's more expensive. It, it's almost double well, yeah. the price. I yeah. mean, Lafayette is we're we're we we're a small town that wants the big city feel. Right, right. And so you you yeah, I mean, obviously you had the prices have to kind of align and but like if you were to go being new to the market, you yeah. know, we didn't want to come into the market and just be like, Oh my god, what are these guys charging? They crazy. So we wanted to, you know, make the rents make sense. But you know, occupancy was was key for us. Yeah. Making sure that you know that was uh important. So so you guys, it sounds like if I'm picking it up on the queue here, that eventually prices you want prices to go up. 
naturally? No, not really. No. Uh, so that's one of the key uh, components of our business strategy and our business model is that uh, where are we locating the salons? We actually own the real estate, okay. which is pretty important. So what that does for the Grant Gordon model, right? Yeah. So what it does for us is uh, you know we're able to you know stabilize our loan when we buy a building. You know we we lock in a rate you know, with twenty year uh, loan, but the other side is that we have a locked in fixed cost that we can, you know, pass that fixed cost down to our stylists. So if you look at what's going on in the industry, you know, across all industries, you know, if there's other business models that come in and, you know, have their salon in a, in a space, those rents are going to have to go up for those particular locations that are not self-owned because the landlords are going to have that pressure of, you know, things going up in price. Well, we feel pretty confident we're about to keep those rents pretty stable at a low price uh that's our goal is to keep it keep it okay yeah yeah that that's really good news because yeah. so uh, it's kind of like you want to get in in a, in a parlor salon you you, you want to get in you know yeah and you said there's a wait list so yeah. like obviously you guys are doing something that seems attractive to that industry um i'm going to pull up the website again so here's some of the um the locations and you can see that there's a lafayette uh, location right off Ambassador. That's kind of where Bertrand and Ambassador splits. And then you have the most recent location uh, in near downtown Broussard, which uh, has a very similar feel as the original location. I mean, you're, you probably have an architect who, you know, made sure to kind of keep some of the cues, yeah, right? Actually, uh, that's part of uh, my passion. So, you know, one of the things that allows me to, you know, be creative is, you know, that design aspect, you know, so literally I usually use an iPad and, and lay out the design or the floor plan, you know, start moving boxes around yep. the wife and she's listening probably, you know, how many times are you going to look at that screen and, and, you know, move those boxes around you on version number 12 or what? Look, my wife <laughs> tells me that I obsess over things all the time. And like, she goes, how many times, like I'll, I'll make a video for a client <laughs> And she goes, how many times are you going to watch that video? I'm like, Kelly, I'm watching it. Yeah. For one, I'm editing it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I got to watch it over and over and over to get to make sure it feels right and, yeah. like, it keeps pace. But I'm excited about it. I like I like looking at what I was able to create. Yeah. I don't know. For me, that creative side, and, and it's uh, almost like problem solving. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, this, I got... 2000 square feet to work in. How can I make this a great location, a good experience? You know, where do I need the doors and you know, what makes sense for like the aesthetics and the flow of the business? I like figuring those things out, uh, you know, down to when I developed my, uh, my state farm office, uh, I literally drew it all out, uh, and gave the architect, here's how I want my location. And, you know, most of what he did was just make sure that from a handicap and the bathrooms were in compliant, but we pretty much got what I laid out. So I, I just like, I just love it. You know, I, I just like doing those things. That is, that's <laughs> awesome. Look, I, I, I agree, man. I, I like to be creative and, you know, being creative, a creative person can sometimes be a little anal, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pull up the website again. So uh, looking at the two locations, then you have your new downtown location coming up. We'll talk about that in just a second. So I'm going to pull up the original location that started. So I'm going to do an online tour. <clears throat> so uh, it looks like at the top you can see the uh, hairstylists that are renting at the moment. Correct? Is that what I'm looking at? The directory? Should be, yeah. Yeah. So uh, each location we uh, have the directory of the stylists, uh, you know, with their direct contact information. And down below is the uh, actual location's uh, photos. Wow. So if you click right. on the ambassador yeah. location, kind of get like a little vis visual tour of that. All right. So I'm going uh, I'm to try to 
briefly here give our viewers some of the photos. So, like, this is the entrance with the logo wall. Look, the logo is really cool. The, the logo wall is, like, really slick and, like, modern feeling. I love <laughs> it. Uh, and this is, like, the hallway. And it looks like there's units on each side and they have each a number on the, the wall. And it's all glass doors. Like, can you see inside of the unit? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that we did uh, in the first location and the second location is uh, the doors are, are solid glass. Uh, not cheap, very expensive. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the first location, they have these sliding barn doors. Uh, they look beautiful. You know, we learned in that first one, you know, moving to the second one, let's do the doors a little differently. So in the second location, some of the stylists actually like maybe tint their, their, their deal with a, almost like a, a fog type tint. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you and, allow that. Yeah. We allow that. But uh, in moving into the third location, the doors are going to be a little different, a little bit better, um, you know, locking mechanisms, things like that. So, you know, again, we're learning as we go, uh, you know, as far as aesthetically, we want things to look very clean. You know, that's, I just like things that look organized and clean. Yeah, I think most people appreciate that. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the, oh gosh, let me get out of here. I will say this. Uh, so one of my good friends uh, is a stylist, uh, Josh Clark. He owns a great salon in in, in uh in Youngsville, J. Elliott Salon, and he and I were collaborating, just talking about. Uh, I, actually, you know, when I went over the idea with him, uh, share with him what I was going to be doing, and and asked him. We were kind of kicking around names, and he actually said, "Well, if I was going to open up a different salon in the future or a different salon ever, I was thinking, you know, we would uh, name it Parlor." I was like, oh, man, that's a great name. And he said, you take it. You use it. Oh, he allowed uh, you to yeah, take so, it. That's uh, yeah, awesome. I always got to you know, thank Josh uh, for that great name. I think it just fits well for just a place of gathering of where uh, people come together for services. So it just yeah. worked out really well. All right. So um, I, I just did uh, a quick tour of uh, both the locations. <clears throat> and you mentioned Jay Elliott. He's actually building his own yes. uh, new, yeah. new uh, place right now. Yes, he is. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah, yeah. He... Uh, like this has probably been over probably eight months now um, mm -hmm. since I've known about it. He sent me the renderings and everything because he had, he was sharing it on his personal Facebook page. And I said, look, send me the renderings, yeah. send me the information. And uh, I was going to write about it back then, and I didn't because I didn't know when he would start on it. And I didn't yeah. want to be too early because mm -hmm. I can be too early sometimes. And sometimes things just fall through. That's right. But uh, I was flying my drone in Youngsville or, uh, earlier this week or late last week. And where I was... In the tiny little speck of the image of the video, I could see what looked like some sticks mm -hmm. going up. I'm like, okay, so I flew my drone, and it was a little distance, but I'm like, I can still see it. So I flew my drone to this area, and I saw that it looked like the place near the Van Allen yes, area. it is. Um, I said, I wonder if that's Jay Elliott. Mm -hmm. So I flew my drone back, landed it, took off, and then drove to that location. And sure enough, it was the, it's the Jay Elliott uh, building. And then I went to his Facebook page, and I saw he had wrote about it and posted it. So I got that to write about. Mm -hmm. So it's cool that you mentioned Jay Elliott because uh, he was an inspiration to help get us started. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, all right, so downtown location. Um, that downtown location is interesting because – it, it had a lot of people talking about um, salons in downtown, and uh, it was the former handy handy stop market that the you guys are going into through a collaboration of ownership of the, the building. And so one of the things that I, I saw a lot of people talking about is like, essentially, just straight up bluntly, yeah. why another salon yeah. in downtown? Yeah. And... 
I was being naturally myself in the comment section. I'm like, look, it's not just a salon. It's not just another salon with, you know, a uh, uh, hundred different chairs in the same spot. Like there's a lot of salons in downtown mm. Lafayette. We know this. Um, and they all do great, yeah. which is, which is amazing. Cause people think, Oh, why, why do we need another salon? But they all do good. I've never seen a salon in downtown fail, at least not to my yeah. knowledge over the past five, 10 years. So um, what do you say to those people that are saying why another salon? Obviously, we kind of touched on why it's not just a salon, but yeah. like, what would you tell those people? Yeah, well, a couple things. Uh, one, you know, I was a little nervous about going downtown myself. Like, it, why? It, it just like when you think of like parking, you know, like you know, do you want to go downtown to get a haircut and park and all that good stuff? Uh, but you know, until you go down there and start seeing, okay, wow, this is pretty vibrant. You know, what's happening downtown and all the development that's taking place. You know, I got approached to bring that salon downtown, so a developer actually bought the building. And he contacted me and said, hey, I just bought this building. Uh, I think you should consider putting a parlor in downstairs. And first question I had was, hey, isn't it occupied? And he said, well, they're not going to be in it. And, you know, they're, 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 they're out. And however that worked out is how it worked out. So I was, you know, invited after uh, to, to look at the space. Uh, it made sense to us. One of the things that I think, you know, when you ask about other locations and other salons downtown is that, you know, rents over time are going to continue to get squeezed. So if you think about the downtown being developed, mm-hmm. the value of that real estate is going to go up. What do you think is going to happen to those rents to those little local salons now? They could potentially go oh, up yeah. pretty skyrocketing. They so might go up pretty high. Might go up pretty high. Um, and, you know, without, you know, disclosing, you know, who's looking at what space is, you know, we've been, you know, both with the Broussard Salon and our downtown Lafayette Salon, we actually, in our, in our Broussard Salon, had a stylist uh, and an entire uh salon location transition to our space so they were operating in a traditional salon both the owner and her ladies that were salon working for her all transitioned into parlor when we move now into downtown we may have similar circumstances where they're just tired of all of the responsibility the rents are going up you know they have a vision for what they want the landlords aren't doing it so it allows them to almost escape that you know handcuffs that they're in and have a breath of fresh air in their own space without all the overhead and risk in a beautifully designed place so we think it's going to be a home run the other thing that we think about is you know when you think about the impact that we're going to have you know 18 more businesses is what we were about to put in there 18 more businesses 18 more entrepreneurs 18 more people bringing in hundreds of clients uh, on a weekly basis. Coming to downtown. Coming downtown. So, you know, the nice thing about stylists uh, or people in that industry is, you know, their customers follow where they are. They, they, you know, wherever that person locates, they're going to go. And uh, I think that that's just going to be a tremendous impact to downtown, you know, going and visit other businesses and be a feed to, uh, to other, other, businesses in, in the community. Let me tell you, you are on the money with um, salon professionals being followed hard like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's, it's almost like once you find someone who cuts your hair, you don't want to lose them. Absolutely. And I'll tell you a quick uh, story that happened to me recently. And I don't know if my, if the, the lady who cuts my hair, used to cut my hair is listening. <laughs> um, so she went through a 
a transition stage of her business where she needed to allocate more personal time to personal life. And I totally get that. She made a post on Facebook saying, you know, she, she's been thinking about this for a while. She's cried multiple times. And ultimately what happened was that she had to make the, the, the difficult decision to cut certain clients and those certain clients were mostly guys <laughs> and in lieu of keeping her, um, well, not in lieu, yeah. but yeah, keeping her main clients, which mostly women who are high dollar, sure, uh, sure. tickets. Like, you know, my wife just got her hair, uh, colored by her mm-hmm. actually. And cause we've been going to her for over 12 years. And it was over a hundred bucks. Oh yeah, my That's cheap man, hundred dollars, yeah, right? But she <laughs> she's a awesome. she's an individual person, yeah. and she does her own pricing, kind of like just an individual chair might sure. have different pricing. So yeah, so a hundred bucks, a uh, hundred and ten bucks more or less. Mm-hmm. And my haircut and my little boy's haircut total was like God thirty two dollars, thirty five dollars yeah. tops. That's with a tip. Yeah. Like that's nothing. Yeah, that's right. Like most men can't go to downtown and get a haircut for less than 30, 40 bucks. Yeah. Like I don't even know the going rate of a haircut in downtown for a guy. That's for sure. But you know, one of the nice things about it is that, you know, uh, and well, we got great salons in Lafayette, you know, even to the traditional ones. And, you know, they have you know, great teams and great camaraderie, great collaboration. You know, I think with Parla, it just offers just a different alternative for that stylist that just wants to be a little bit independent. Um, and, it, you know, we have that space for him. So it, 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 it caters to a different, maybe someone that's at a different stage in their career. Uh, and, uh, you know, so they can call, you know, yeah. and make their own salon. So. Awesome. All right. So we're getting close to the 45 minute mark and we still have several people watching and I want to make sure we get to uh, the last thing. And I think this is the most interesting (laughs) thing that I've seen so far from any local person getting into uh, is the NFT slash metaverse space. Now, those listening, you may not know what an NFT is or what the metaverse is. I've mentioned the metaverse here on the podcast uh, several weeks ago with the Festival International crew. And so essentially, NFTs are, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, non-fungible tokens, right? That's right. Okay. We'll, we'll elaborate on what that means in a second. And then the metaverse, uh, it's essentially the, the product of what Facebook turned into. So Facebook changed their, their, their main corporate name from Facebook to meta and uh, they have essentially got into the the virtual reality space so deep that they they've created another universe (laughs) in the online internet area called the metaverse you know just this so happens to be called their the thing okay um i want you bradley to elaborate on what an nft is how it's how it relates to business and being sure being a product and then also why would you even try to get into the metaverse space? Like what does that look like as far as a business owner and for those listening that may want to even remotely think about getting into that? Like, sure. Go ahead. Well, uh, a couple things there. Uh, I think when you look at the evolution of the internet and that's really what, what, 
everyone is looking at, you know, going back to, we talked about my early years in 1995, you know, tinkering yeah. around with the first webpage and the webpage was, was just a place to display content. You know, it was just an online brochure and then it changed into where people can log in and start having interactions with the internet. And then version two, they call it web, web 2.0, where it's user generated content. Uh, that user generated content you think of like social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of these different places where the users can put out the content. You know, so each evolution has been opportunities and you know, web three is what they're calling it with NFTs and metaverse. It's another version of the internet that's coming. And for me, just looking at just from a hobby standpoint, you know, just being having like a natural interest in being a part of it. I just recognize that something's going to be happening in this space. I need to learn it to what extent I can be involved. I know that I'm at a point in my life where I want to collaborate again with others uh, that may be smarter than me, might have ideas, how I could bring people together and bring talents together and maybe, you know, put, put a project together. So, you know, that's where, you know, my interest lied. So it, the last several months, it's been a lot of studying of what it was, what the opportunities are, what can be built. Uh, and, you know, we start seeing some of the, you know, the sales that are happening in NFTs. And I'm like, what are people buying this for? What is this? And they're, uh, they're spending hundreds of thousands hundreds of dollars of thousands on of NFTs. Dollars. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that intrigued me. I was like, what are they buying and what is it for? And really, uh, you know, you asked me to kind of touch on, uh, they're buying, you know, access to something that lives on a new technology called the blockchain. Okay. And, you know, so, you know, over time, you'll see there's going to be a transformation of the way we use uh, digital things is going to operate or it is operating on the blockchain. And that's just a technology that, you know, I, I'm not a tech savvy person on that aspect. It's pretty deep and over my head. But, you know, when way to think about it, uh, NFT is not I think the easiest way to kind of describe it as something simple as let's say you, um, you know, got your diploma, you graduated, right? And I, as the employer, want to validate that, you know, you got that diploma. Well, what if that diploma from the digital creation of it was created by the university on a certain technology that was authenticated that when you presented it and only you could be the owner of it can show me that, yes, this is a real diploma or a real authentication of that digital art, okay? Uh, then I know is when, when I'm looking at it, I know, okay, this is where it originated. This is where it's at. And this is the person who owns it. So the NFT is just technology of the ownership and where is it transferring from? You know, if you think about it from an art standpoint, when, you know, when someone created the Mona Lisa or whatever, I mean, how many times has that has sold and how many times has, uh, uh, that artist gotten paid? Well, with NFTs, that particular artist and his foundation or her foundation could get paid for infinity with blockchain and NFTs. Because every time the NFT changes ownership, royalties can be placed back to the original creator. So it allows digital creators to have an ongoing royalty standpoint wow. based on content. Even if you don't own it, you want to give up the rights to it and let someone else own it. It allows you to have contracts in place which is all controlled digitally of that original developer to get paid and that's that pretty intriguing wild. and it's all tracked very transparent in the technology of the blockchain through a ledger and you you can see exactly who bought it when what time who owns it now and then every time it's transferring ownership 
the original creator is getting some type of royalty for their, you know, their ideas. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I knew a little bit, like you, you went into some detail that I didn't even know. Um, so do you, have you had experience in buying an NFT or anything like that? Or have yeah. you sold one yet? Like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. For you? So, um, you know, when I looked into the NFT space, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, am I going to go in and buy it or I'm going to go in and be a developer and just my natural, you know, how I like to create things said, you know what, if I'm going to get into that side of things and whether I want to own some or have uh, a portfolio of it, I'd rather sit on the development side of it from a creativity standpoint, but also maybe any type of up, upside opportunity. So I instantly got into how do we create a collection? What do we need to do to create it? You know, I need to get with graphic designers. We need to start doing, you know, certain aspects of projects and, you know, pulling that together. And really, I'm in the, in the you know, planning to create NFTs versus buy them. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the creation of NFTs is, if you can do it, if you can pull it off correctly, it's lucrative. Yeah. And I, I'm still trying to understand, like, why? Like, is it just the, the newness or... Is it the the exclusivity of it? It could be both. Yeah. Like so, what what's happening now? And, and it's changed since I first wanted to get into this space. You know, in the beginning, I think it was the newness. If you look at last year in twenty twenty one, most people were just buying it to almost like FOMO, like the fear of missing out. I need to buy one, and you know, I need to buy this one, and you know, they keep buying. But you know, now you know, look at twelve months later, uh, the buyers are getting a little bit more savvy. So they're looking at a couple of things. They're looking at who's the team behind it. You know, who's creating this? What is their intent of it? And that's what they're looking at as to why and how, once I buy this, what can I do with this particular NFT? What is the utility of it? Why is this going to be valuable? How can I use it in the future? So, you know, as project developers, we're doing that same analysis. So we look at, okay, if we create a project, if we put it out there, what will the end user be able to do with it? Uh, so we now have a, a project that we're pretty excited about um, that we're going to be moving forward with that's going to you know, have a lot of utility, a great opportunity, and we have a business model all, all, all around it. So pretty, awesome. pretty pumped about that. So uh, I'm going to pull up the uh, your website here and yeah. let's see if we get that up. All right, so I got your website pulled up for what this is called uh, the Metavisory. Yeah. Uh, I love the I love the name. Uh, obviously advisory is uh, a part of that word metavisory. Sure. It makes sense. So just literally just looking at the logo only, it, it appears as though you guys are um, advising people about the, the metaverse and NFT space. Yeah. Um, how are you guys generating revenue Obviously, you said you were going to get into the development space of the NFTs, but like from a advisory, I guess advisory point of view, what does the revenue model look like there? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Meta Advisory Company was created as really my think tank for me to get into the NFT space. Got it. So, you know, with with State Farm, I have to disclose to State Farm, you know, anytime I'm doing outside business activity. So, creating a, uh, a LLC so that we can have, you know, just enter into this space. Uh, but in particular, you know, our goal is to create projects. Uh, so, part of it, you know, what we're doing in the beginning here is we're working on our own ideas and our own projects to bring them into the 
the space. So what that looks like is, is that, you know, we had an idea for our project um, and we have put out feelers and working on contracting with a graphic designer. Uh, and we wanted to take it a step further. So we actually in negotiations right now to bring in one of the top artists in the world in a particular genre. And, you know, when you think about my whole idea of collaboration, so we have an artist located in another part of the world who wants to get into NFTs. You know, they're just scared and not sure how to get into it. Here we are wanting to get into it and bringing those parties together to complement each other's services. So I'm not, you know, this great graphic designer, but I do know how to bring people in and collaborate. So, you know, bring that piece in. But, you know, one of the things that I did, I go back to my roots of creating software and pitching it out there. You know, I'm not just going into this blindly. I created an entire business model around this particular project, what it would look like, how are we going to monetize it year after year. Um, and what I did uh, in addition was, I showed and, and reached out to some of the top people in, in NFT uh, out there and, uh, and set up meetings to show them what I was going to do and, and got extremely positive feedback. And, you know, that's when I knew I might be on to something that if we have top people in NFT space saying this is good, this could be something, uh, I was like, okay, this might be kind of interesting if we pull this together. So, you know, to me, I'm just kind of like the, the, the guy pulling the, the, the pieces together uh, and just, you know, trust is a big thing in this industry. Uh, you know, who are you going to trust with an idea? Are they going to take it and run with it? You know, so, yeah. you know, so having, you know, non-disclosure agreements was important. So I have all those in place when I'm talking to someone about an idea because, you know, that's, that's the whole trouble about collaboration is that people are scared to share an idea or, you know, this person's going to rip me off or steal, you know, just, so I think the Met Advisory was just set up to say, Hey, listen, this is a safe place. I have a track record of success in projects. I'm highly ethical integrity. You know, if we put together an agreement, I'm going to fulfill my side and you know, I am trusting that you're going to fill your side and let's, let's, uh, let's see if we can make this happen. Yeah. Man, this is really cool. Um, you mentioned graphic designers and that seems like the obvious direction because it's digital format. What about a local artist in Lafayette that they may not be savvy in the tech space. They don't know how to get an NFT started. Because I think with the NFT, you have to have a crypto account, yes. right? Because yes. I I did get a crypto account, and I was about to try to start selling an NFT, but then I researched that what I was doing with the, this particular artwork that I was creating, because it was in collaboration with another company's uh, software, that I would probably not be able to sell that generated artwork that even though I inspired to create it, right. it was generated through an AI. Okay. So I could not make an NFT with it, but it's so unique. And I'm <laughs> like, it could fly, but uh, I, don't, I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. So going to a local artist that creates things and they're, like I said, not technically savvy. Uh, for example, uh, I don't know how technically savvy he is, but uh, he's a great artist. Dirk Gidry, yeah. who created uh, this year's uh, Festival International artwork. Yes. It's beautiful. Would he be able to, either by himself or through the the advisory, the MetaVisory company, to create an NFT of that artwork and sell it? And 
the other the other part of that question is so that's the first one would he be able to do that with physical artwork and then second if the physical artwork was created to be sold as an nft who technically owns that artwork even though there's a physical representation of that artwork yeah so a couple points uh if uh one of the things about dirk gidry in particular, uh, we were at a, a local art show years ago, and my wife came across his art, and uh, she just loved it. She's like, oh, my God, look how nice. And I was like, oh, yeah, Dirk. You know, it seems, I don't know if I can afford that at the time. I was like, that's kind of kind of expensive, you know? So fast forward a few years later, uh, in 2020, I'm building my, my office, and I wanted, like, very beautiful art. I wanted, like, a, you know, kind of like custom art in each office, and uh, I contacted Dirk. And I said, Dirk, I, I want to nice. do some art. And uh, he came to my office. We came up with some concepts that I wanted to, to, to have in each office. And I got home, told my wife, she's like, I can't believe you got Dirk. I was like, yeah. She said, well, I wanted a Dirk Gidry uh, graphic, you know, a while ago. You told me no. I said, well, funny. well, Dirk's doing it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Dirk uh, is a, a great artist. Uh, and in particular, he, he's actually someone I reached out to uh, when I got into this space because okay. I thought, like, hey, he's got some really interesting stuff and, you know, reached out to him. You know, one of the things that, you know, when it comes to getting NFTs on, um, you know, taking art and put it as NFTs right now, an artist could do that on their own, meaning that they can create an account, you know, maybe they use something like OpenSea, but they can create an account, upload their particular image and then put it for sale. Uh, they could set, you know, their sale price and they can even set the, uh, the number of them. So for example, let's say Dirk or some other artist created, you know, some graphic that they want to sell they can choose if they want to have this be a one-off, like a one-time, this can never be purchased, or multiple versions of it. Now, if you allow multiple versions, maybe the price of that art is not as you know unique. However, each time that art is sold, that artist is getting an ongoing royalty. So every time it transfers hands, whatever price it sells for, a percentage can go back to the original creator, which would be the artist. Yeah, that so would from be cool. a you know from a protection standpoint they're more, I think, more protected than ever and that their actual art, if it's sold and changes hands, they're getting you know, some yeah. type of compensation on the backside, which I think is pretty unique. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I get that part. I guess I'm just curious on like converting physical art into digital art, selling it on a digital format, but the physical art still being physical. Yeah. Because um, even though the metaverse is a thing, the physical universe is still a thing. Yeah. And for example, like if I have, if I buy his original painting of the festival international artwork and I have it hanging in my living room, mm -hmm. I own that physical yeah. art, like that canvas. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think to answer your question, I, you know, I think that's going to become a personal decision that each artist is going to have to make. Do they want to allow that, you know, unique physical art, to, to transition into the digital space. They need to think of two couple things. One is, you know, what they promised when they built that first one, you know, that unique ownership and then how that might impact them in the digital space. I think that artists, you know, are going to probably have to put a lot of thought into that. My thought is, is probably trying to maybe keep the two somewhat a little separate, uh, potentially, uh, or 
that uh, if the physical was able to you know have a digital version and it, it kind of went as a collaboration piece that if you know it follows that digital ownership uh, but I think creating unique items just for the digital space so for example we work in um, potentially to get a, a, a f- famous artist on one of our projects and that's one of the concerns that I brought up to them on the front side is that hey one of the things that I would advise to keep the value of your art in the physical is that we would never bring that art into the digital space. So that, that can, that keeps it very rare and unique to the people that purchase it or what have you. But if we go into the digital, it may be inspired art or renditions of it that maybe we've changed some elements, some color schemes, things like that to know that, Hey, this is a metaverse version of that particular collection. That makes sense. Yeah, man. It's just a, it's just an interesting thing. And like every phase of the internet, you always have your early adopters yeah. with anything in life. You have your early mm-hmm. adopters. You have your, the people that are not quite the early adopters, but like they get in kind of in the mid, like before, almost at the, before the midway. And then you have your people who are at the very tail end. They're like, Hey, uh, this seems cool. And I'm, I'm starting to understand it. And then they're, they're almost yeah. late. Yeah. And then the trends fading out. But I'll, I'll connect you on this last thing to maybe uh, communicate to the audience uh, a little bit more specifically about what we're doing and maybe connect the dots. So, you know, when you think about uh, metaverse, okay, you know, you may see commercials or see activities where people are putting on those Oculus yeah. type glasses, the VR type equipment. Yep. Okay. Uh, when you think about that, that is a metaverse that's occurring uh the metaverse just can allow users from all over the world to be in this system simultaneously or separate so one of the things that we're doing is and i'll 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 tell you the first project that we're working on the nft projects we call the haunted metaverse okay so the haunted metaverse is going to feature ten thousand unique graphics inspired uh graphics with you know witches and you know uh skeletons and vampires and things like that that that's going to be the nft that's purchased okay okay but the metaverse well our goal is to monetize monetize this is that rather than maybe going to a haunted house that you have to get in your car drive to imagine if you were able to buy an nft ticket okay you just go online click and buy one and maybe it's $20, maybe it's 50 bucks, but you click and buy an NFT ticket that allows you to get into the metaverse of the haunted metaverse where you can click and say, hey, I want to go to this virtual haunted house and have the real experience of like, oh my God, I'm getting scared. And they actually pick levels of horror. So maybe I'm a level one because, you know, I get yeah. scared easily. And then there's some people that, you know, they want a level three and they can really experience that piece. But, you know, having those types of experiences, uh, another piece that we're looking at is let's, let's say a family wants to get together and do an escape room. So imagine being in your own home, you're all putting on the goggles and y'all trying to figure out together as a family. But what if you don't have a family? What if you're just one person Yeah. and you want to go to an escape room and maybe you can bring in other people that have similar interests and y'all enter into the space together as a team from other parts of the world and yeah. try to do an escape room together in the virtual space. Man, you know, the metaverse is so interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I, I first got introduced to it because I was learning through via TikTok that people were buying digital real estate yeah. In the metaverse. I'm like, digital real estate? Like, yeah. God, dog. Like, we get rid of all the inter- real, real estate on Earth. Like, mm-hmm. now we're selling it in its yeah. digital format. It's now just so saw, wild. Uh, the Bored Ape 
uh, just did a, a real estate sale for their metaverse. And I think they did like $600 million in um, three days. God. And that's just the round one of sales. That's not even counting all of where it's at today in the, you know, a couple of weeks later. That's so it's, wild. It's crazy. And then um, I think the real estate company um, EXP, I think they have their own metaverse um Oh, that's a good Office. point. So when you think about uh, real estate uh, and, and, and doing virtual tours, uh, well, like maybe you're looking at, you know, a lot of engineer and um, architect firms are doing metaverse type. It really just comes down to the graphics and the visual display. But, you know, they can now create an entire building mm-hmm. to where before it's built, like the owners or the developers can, you know, lay, let's see from the time you walk in through that building, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, you know, where, what are the surroundings and really almost feel like they're inside of the, the building that they might be able to create. But, you know, I'll, with full disclosure, man, I'm, I'm a, a amateur at this. You know, we're just kind of looking at, uh, opportunities. Uh, I'm learning as we go yeah. with that. And uh, it's just more hobbyish type things for me. Um, you know, so, you know, when you can do something that's kind of your hobby, but also maybe have it as an entrepreneurial uh, opportunity, that that's kind of fun too. Yeah, man, it's amazing. We could probably uh, talk bits and pieces about it all day and, and ultimately not have any clue what we're talking about, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for sake of time and to respect your time, um, I want to go ahead and wrap it up, but I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, we touched on, uh, state farm. We touched on parlor salon studios, which was a good chunk of what we talked about. And then of course the, the metavisory company that you created to talk about the NFT space and the metaverse and all that stuff. Cause that's probably over a lot of people's heads and it's almost still above our <laughs> head. Um, but yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on Bradley and I really look forward to, um, the downtown location for parlor salon studios and kind of seeing how that goes. And I want to see what, uh, if people's thoughts, the, the overall public thought of the parlor salon studios being in downtown changes, because I think that they are thinking of it in a different way, in a more narrow way. Uh, even though many people think that they're open-minded, I think open-minded is just a uh, shroud for somebody who's really just narrow-minded because they just want to perceive them. Anyway, I'm getting too deep. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, again, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything that you want to leave off with before we head out? No, I just want to thank you for having us. Uh, we're big supporters of Developing Lafayette. We follow it. But, you know, just really grateful for this community. I mean, the culture here, you know, my wife and I moved from another city to come here and you know, it's, it's scary. You're moving oh, to yeah. a new city. You know what you expect. You're starting a business. You, you feel like you're risking everything that you have, you know, personally, professionally. And, uh, we just been well received and, uh, just a great community to live and do business in. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we love it here. So thank you, uh, Lafayette and Acadiana. Awesome, man. Look, we, uh, we're glad to have you guys. And, uh, I'm, I moved here in 2010 too, so it's it's a little uh, interesting, but only an hour north. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a great community. Um, before we leave, I'm gonna show you the websites again. So if you want to learn more about uh, Bradley Beck's State Farm, if you want to contact Bradley about your State Farm or your car insurance or health insurance or life insurance, life insurance. God, every <laughs> insurance, um, his website is bradleybeck.com, and then we also have. The parlor salon studios.com, which we've talked about as well. Uh, if you were looking, if you're a salon studio, uh, if you're a salon professional or cosmetology, be con- cosmetology professional, um, go to their website, check them out, uh, get on the wait list, or uh, do whatever you got to do to try to get a space there if you're interested. And then 
if you're trying to if you're trying to figure out what's happening with NFTs and the the metaverse, um, he has a company called MetaVisoryCompany.com, and so check that out. It's a a company that is, like you said, hobbyish, but still on the cusp of trying to figure out the the latest technology. Yeah, and do you, were you going to say something? No, I say you know, uh, you, with NFTs and things like that, there's a lot of stuff you can just learn online. I mean, yeah. That, that's how I self-taught. I mean, I've learned a lot from just watching YouTube, Twitter. I recently got on Twitter just to learn more about the NFT. That seems to be a place, a community where a lot of that's being taught. Uh, and then they have a lot of, uh, with like these Twitter spaces where you can log in and listen and just listening to, you know, what others are doing and how they're doing or what's important. Uh, and you learn a lot. You know? Oh yeah. 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 There's a lot to, there's a lot to be learned here, but no doubt. Mm. Anyway, um, that is it. Bradley, again, uh, thank you for coming on to talk about all your different uh, entrepreneurial uh, journeys. And I look forward to seeing your continued success. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. And that is it. That is the tea. We hope you have a great Friday and we will see you on the next one.